Uh, typically, if I'm having a, a good day in uh, meditation, I would start with doing that kind of uh, body scan, body awareness, and just uh, relaxing and trying to sink into a, a relatively steady uh, physical posture. And then uh, take some minutes to just acknowledge what the mental state is right th- right at that moment. What's the the mood or the, the citta that I bring with me at the time? And sometimes it will be very peaceful and sometimes it might be um, a little bit uh, in turmoil because of different problems or things that might have happened or even social things that could happen that, that uh, move the mind away from the state of peace. Uh, whatever it is, I try to just acknowledge that very clearly and uh, with a kind of loving acceptance. There's no wrong place to start the meditation. The meditation just starts with wherever you are at that time. Then um, I typically follow um, the techniques that would be given for a concentration practice, which would be, uh, for me, settling on the breath around the the lip and trying to, uh, with the intention to ignore everything else, um, that's uh, coming along and uh, just uh, focusing on the in-breath and the out-breath. Even sometimes the instability of the physical body is uh, disturbing to the mind. It's just like there's so many moving atoms in the body and and uh, sometimes I, I visualize the breath like in front of the face, instead of the sensation of the breath. It's just more like the concept of breath. And uh, even if I'm not obtaining um, samadhi or jhanic meditation, what happens for me is that my clearest experiences with vipassana are happening where I'm aiming for uh, samadhi or, or samatha. So if I sit down for meditation saying uh, whatever distractions or disturbances come up during the meditation hour, I'm willing to uh, let go of my meditation anchor for a moment in order to acknowledge the other things that are impinging on my awareness, whether they be physical or mental. And then noticing those things and then coming back and focusing on the anchor. Uh, what what happens for me, for this, for this body, is that the meditation becomes too scattered and I, I'm uh, too much in danger of losing the meditation. Or uh, to put it another way, I could say I don't have to go looking for trouble in meditation because I know trouble will come to me. Uh, so I make the strongest determination that I can simply to concentrate on, on one object uh, in order to uh, stop or slow down or stop the thinking mind. And, and then uh, if, uh, uh, despite my best effort, uh, other things coming up, then I notice all of the impingements uh, with uh, a compassion and with the special uh, lens of awareness of looking at them in terms of the three marks of existence. This is uh, something that is changing. So because of impermanence, I'm not just able to 
um, put my mind on its object and have it just sit there, like putting a rock on the table and it just sits there. Instead, the mind is is always moving at that, that dynamic quality and it has to keep like coming back with each breath. It has to be coming back to the object over and over again. Um, and I know that um, meditation is frequently unsatisfactory. And even if there's a really great meditation, it's still unsatisfactory because how likely is it that you're going to have the same great meditation the next hour mm-hmm. that you did in the same hour? So you know that it's conditioned um, and um, uh, not necessarily something that is reliable. Uh, and then also uh, that these things that come up, uh, I don't identify with anything that happens in the meditation, but simply that it's a flow of phenomenon, that I'm somehow this uh, consciousness is experiencing a flow of flow of uh, phenomena, uh, but not being the owner of any of it. Uh, when uh, there's a good day that the um, hindrances are not uh, dominating, it can happen that one's restlessness, greed, um, the wandering mind, and the reactivity to pain can uh, subside and one can have a meditation that has the characteristic or the quality of tremendous freedom where none of these factors seem to be impinging too much and or it's like one can be aware, okay there's pain but it's like okay there's pain over there in the bookstore but that doesn't have to disturb me so the, the whatever's happening somewhere in the body doesn't create a disturbance in the mind. Um, so those are some of the things that one might experience in a deep meditation. Uh, can I describe a form of meditation to abate sleepiness? Uh, when uh, Uh, one uh, possibility is to uh, keep the eyes open uh, when sleepy. Um, Another uh, specific technique is to use uh, touch points so that the focus of awareness, instead of trying to just stay on one touch point as the anchor, you would have a second touch point. Uh, Let's say the sensation of the hands touching each other or the sensation of your seat on the the cushion. Then you would, uh, if you suppose that you're um, noticing the breath at the nostrils, you breathe in, aware of the breath at the nostrils, and then at the pause of the breath, you're aware of the touch point. Then you breathe out, aware of the breath, And then at the pause, you're aware of the touch point. So that then your um, focus of attention is moving between two specific touch points. That's more active. And because of being more active, you might be less likely to fall into drowsiness. The uh, uh, Buddha uh, specifically suggested to 
uh, focus on the light. When if the uh, if you're feeling drowsy in meditation, so if you feel drowsy, just obtain jhana, and when the nimitta arises in your jhana, that would be the a phenomenon of a of a mysterious um, something like light, which could be. Um, like a definite orb, or it could be something that's uh, sort of wispy light, or, or, or some uh, phenomenon like that of light that arises when a person um, enters jhana, then that's like so interesting. You wouldn't possibly fall asleep. So that's the advice that's given in the ancient text, but it's not necessarily obtainable by uh, people who are beginners in meditation. And then the last um, specific technique um, I can give three more. Uh, one specific technique that I heard from um, my uh, uh, teachers back at Bhavana Society is if you take the part of your ear or the, the cartilages, not the lobe of the ear, but where the cartilages, and that's an um, acupressure point, and then you pinch it like really, really, really hard <laughs> so that it's painfully hard. You pinch like that. And because of the acupressure, then that's supposed to help you to wake up. Uh, another um, method, uh, especially on a long retreat if you're sleepy, is to do standing meditation. Um, I heard one teacher, I think it was Carol Wilson, said that she, on a long retreat, she fell asleep while doing walking meditation. <laughs> But doing more walking meditation is a good antidote to drowsiness. And then last of all, I'll mention um, when I first was uh, pre- preparing for ordination, um, this is like when I was in white, uh, I had the uh, tendency of falling asleep during Dhamma talks. And um, so a um, monk, a friend of mine, gave me a cork with a needle uh, pushed to the cork so the pointed end was sticking out the needle. And he said, just like hold that like in the palm of your hand so that if you start dozing off, you'll prick yourself. <laughs> um, but uh, 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 the, um, uh, basically of all of those uh, different uh, uh, tricks and gimmicks, what I've uh, found is, is um, um, more walking, especially walking in fresh air, or more standing. Um, practice, learning to practice with eyes open, and learning to uh, uh, switch the touch points. Those are more like a, not tricks or gimmicks, but more um, standard uh, methods. I'll be answering um, all the other questions in the next hour. I'm going to do one more question and then go to the... Um, uh, talking about uh, non-self. A research has discovered that the response happens before the stimuli. What do you think is responding? I think what this person means is that the response happens before we cognize the stimuli. Is that... I don't know who asked the question. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> this actually happened to me during a three-month retreat. Uh, Something really strange was happening during that retreat, and I later found out um, 
my doctor had changed my prescription for um, a thyroid medicine. And I didn't find out until afterwards that it was a side effect of medication. But what was happening is I got into this three-month retreat and approximately uh, once an hour I'd have an interval of a few minutes of racing heartbeat. And then it would subside and, and then it happened like it was so repeated it was like almost on the hour. Uh, eventually what I, I was able to notice was I would be sitting in meditation and I would be overtaken with a despair and have this clear knowledge that I'm unable to meditate and will never be successful. And then I would start to notice the heart going. <laughs> so it was like there was some kind of a subtle shift of the inner milieu of the body that was happening below the level that I was able to notice it and was being interpreted by the subconscious parts of the brain as being a tragedy. And, and then the higher parts of the mind were concocting this uh, story of failure. And all of that process was happening before the physical thing rose to a level that I was able to notice it. And this is, is uh, actually very um, common. Uh, with uh, Emotions are very fast and they uh, typically come up. Um, and other many things are, are happening, like uh, the part of the mind that we're capable of uh, cognizing is just what's floating on the surface. And there's a big part of, our, of the uh, mental process um, that we're not able to actually know about exactly in the moment. So that's, that's what I think is happening there. And that is in some way uh, relevant to coming to the uh, third of the three marks, uh, the uh, self, or the non-self. Uh, we can see that um, uh, the uh, conscious or the cognitive part of the mind, when it becomes aware of all of the experience that's impinging on us is uh, continuously weaving a story. It's the greatest story ever told. <laughs> the story of me. <laughs> right? uh, and this is a phenomenon that uh, we can be uh, grateful that evolution and Mother Nature have uh, given us uh, this mind which uh, makes this um, impression of a self and gives us this ability to uh, do what has to be done to take care of this self. In other words, the one who's occupying this particular uh, physical body, the one who's inside of this skin. Now, we know that people have, have uh, empathy and, and uh, sympathy and that they're able to be very much in tune with the feelings around around them that other people have, but uh, a person who's uh, mental, psychologically healthy is able to tell the difference between what belongs to them and what belongs to the other. Mm -hmm. So like if you're um, a mother and you have a child and your child is hungry, um, 
you can intuitively understand that your child is hungry, but you know that you give the child to that one. Don't give the food to this one because you experience hunger. You know who is the owner of the hunger. You know that that's not your hunger, that hunger belongs to somebody else. See, so, so that's, this is why it's completely functional and convenient that at a practical level that this mind creates the self. But the Buddha said that um, when this idea of the self becomes elevated to a principle or to an ideology or to um, a religious concept, um, when we invest in the self, then instead of becoming our friend, it becomes a heavy burden, a pain, and a difficulty. There's one uh, sutta that said that um, uh, the Buddha tried sincerely to find the self. Um, At that time, in the deeper, more uh, meditative uh, traditions, not the Brahmin tradition, but in the Samana traditions of meditation, um, there was a um, this idea that uh, deep within us there's a center um, which is a spark of the Supreme God, the Divinity. So they say Atman is Brahman. So if we're able to go deep within and find this uh, center point uh, within us, which is very sacred, that that, like kind of through that keyhole, we can have access to uh, the supreme God and the supreme you know, force of the universe, um, the um, ground of being, the most, you know, very like a, even an abstract concept of uh, the sacredness and the holiness that encompasses the whole world. And so that was the quest that they were on, was to uh, uh, discover, by discovering the self, to discover God, to have a a communion with God. And uh, the Buddha was trying to do this. And he said, if he were able to find a self, or a concept of self, that did not bring suffering, to individuals and to society, then he would be teaching the self. But every concept of self that he was able to find was a cause of suffering, creating suffering for the individuals and creating suffering uh, for society, for one internally and externally cause of suffering. And because the concept of self is a source of suffering, therefore he teaches non-self. In the, uh, one of our favorite uh, verses in the Dhammapada, it says, uh, For many a birth I wandered in samsara, seeking but not finding the builder of this house. So the builder of this house means this person, and the builder of this house would be the creator God. Um, and that uh, quest of seeking and not finding 
he says, uh, sorrowful it is to be born again and again. So the mind is continuously searching, 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 and never able to rest because it's looking for something that's not there. Um, and then it says, um, O house builder, thou art seen. Thou shalt build no house again. All thy rafters are broken. Thy ridgepole is shattered. My mind has attained the unconditioned. Uh, found is the end of craving. So what he is saying there is that the creator, what, what, what made me, what, God, what is the God that made me? Actually, it's craving. So it's, it's his discovery. It's not the high divinity that made this self, is this special, unique, lovely soul. Instead, it was um, greed, or this natural pattern of the mind to be constantly grasping and, and holding on and... and, and um, trying to get something solid that created this house, this, this idea that there's this person and this is me. Um, and when he, when craving is broken, then he achieved uh, the end of this whole process of fabrication and, and uh, uh, the structure is broken. So then he would no longer be expecting to come to rebirth because he was fully enlightened. This was the verse that the Buddha recited after he obtained his full awakening. But even before we wake up, uh, we can experience a lot of intermediate uh, relief, uh, joy, freedom, and uh, peace, uh, escape from agitation, and escape from stress, uh, to whatever extent we're able to just hold on to everything more lightly, and to not be thinking of things as uh, me, this is me, this myself, this is mine. Uh, Before I encountered Buddhism, I was the founder of a multiple employer welfare association that provided health insurance to the employees of 400 nonprofit organizations in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area uh, through a group buying program. So I had three insurance companies, six health plans, and all these employees and all these benefit coordinators all over the city and the suburbs. I could go anywhere in town and sit in a cafe and find a customer. Um, or, I mean, find a friend. Not, not that I'm looking for customers in cafes. I'm not, but um, <laughs> that uh, my friends were everywhere in the, in the city, um, in every quadrant of the city. And uh, they, my nickname was the mother of the insurance plan. And so, so I had all of this identification with this insurance plan, and the thing was such a house of cards. It, it was financially unstable from the get-go, and there's a danger. I think you might have 
you know, read in the news about the death spiral, something that can happen to insurance plans. So with a small group like ours, if we didn't, if we were not like lucky and you know, successful or do, do the right things, um, the house of cards could fall and that would um, uh, go to me, my identity. So many, 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 many hours and hours and hours and days and weeks and weekends of overtime uh, were spent by this body because of, of um, identification with that particular, I had my, this was my little empire, you know, and I was defending it. And then if, if you would imagine if you were somebody who was like really powerful, like with a big corporation, maybe there's somebody here like that, um, then your empire might be much larger and, and how much more uh, stress it would be if you identify and you allow your personal sense of self-worth to be depending on all of these things that you can't control, like things that might happen with, within your, your economic realm. Um, uh, likewise, if you are a parent and if you make the uh, unwise um, parental attitude of identifying with your child and thinking that if your child is successful, you can feel all like puffed up and happy and like that success belongs to you, or if your child makes a mistake and gets in trouble, that you would feel like your child has shamed you and your child has hurt you. And it's really, I mean, the child is, is their, own, their own person. Um, and then in, in so many other like practical ways that you can think about, if uh, to whatever extent you can take this mantra, this is not me, this is not mine, this is not myself, and gradually peel away all the uh, uh, superficial things and uh, lose the uh, strong identification with them. Um, to that extent, you will uh, find your happiness increases, your tranquility, a stability, a peace of mind, and uh, even, um, I know a lot of people um, in America are identifying as uh, survivors of uh, trauma and, and uh, carry the, um, the reactivity or the ability to be triggered by things that, that activate their uh, post-traumatic uh, syndrome and that, that those, those uh, patterns can be triggered. But uh, to an extent that it's possible to stand back from this process and say, okay, here are these, this bundle of, this karmic bundle of experience, which is me with my history and my, and my uh, background in this lifetime. And um, these things happened in the past and something similar that happens like that can cause these things to be triggered and these reactions to form. But if, if there's some part, if the wisdom part is able to stand away from that and to observe with a certain amount of neutrality and say, okay, here it comes, I'm getting triggered again. Okay, I, I can see this thing happening. It's normal. You know, I know this is a, I know what it is. I've studied this before. Uh, how can I take care of myself right now and get into a space of safety to uh, care for uh, whatever it is that's being triggered? So that's a way that, that uh, one is able to um, f have uh, some part of wisdom that stands apart, even though some other part of the mind is still like completely 
in the midst of this identification of me, mine, myself. A person who has such a strong reactivity might have some aspect of their psychology that says, I'm going to be destroyed. I'm in danger. See? And, and is uh, getting activated based on that, on that perception. One beautiful way to develop uh, the awareness of non-self is to uh, think of nature in terms of the surrounding uh, physical world and the biosphere, all the other beings and the um, elements and the planets that exist in the greater world outside of us, and to consider that we are not separate from nature, but we're part of nature in the flow of natural life on this earth. There's a, a, a series of meditation that's recommended by the uh, Buddha in terms of the elements where one would uh, methodically consider uh, within the body uh, something like, say, the earth element, and direct the attention towards whatever inside this body is hard, structured, and earthy. So, like uh, the bones, the teeth, um, the fingernails are hard, uh, and you just Try to uh, visualize the hardness of the things in the body that are hard. And then move the awareness outside of yourself, say to the mountain or to the trees that are, you know, with their trunks standing so tall and firm. And you see the hardness of the trunk of the tree. And that's just... The earth element is the quality of hardness, or the hardness of the mountain is the, the, the stability of the mountain. And then you, you come back, you go back and forth, inside and outside. You notice what is hard inside, what is hard outside, what is hard outside, what is hard inside. And whatever it is, it's only the earth element. And the earth element is not me, not mine, not myself. So the earth element in me is no different than the earth element in you. And the earth element in you is no different than the earth element in this building or the earth element on this mountain. Then uh, in terms of the air element, uh, just uh, at the simple level, think of what is airy and it's like windy and moving in the body and that includes uh, the motion of the motion of the breath and it also includes the motion of the body or the motion of the limbs when we are moving so then we could say the breath coming in and out 
and the breeze which is flowing is just air element. My breath and your breath, just air element. It's not my property, it's just airy, just the airiness. Um, The water element then, so the um, saliva or the tears or the blood that are arising on this form are not any different than the rain that's falling outside. It's just water. Not me, not mine, not myself. And um, the fire element is the heat, um, especially the heat of the body or the, um, the heat of digestion. Is uh, it's like the force uh, which is uh, making things decompose inside the belly. So um, the fire element inside, and um, if you have a wood stove or if you have a um, uh, a furnace that's got a fire, you can see the fire in the furnace, or you can see the fire in the sun, and say it's just fire, just heat. Uh, uh, in doing this, it's a way for the um, uh, impression of this uh, physical body as being me uh, to be uh, made to seem to evaporate so that you're no longer temporarily during the meditation, you're not experiencing the physical body as being a self. Instead, you're just experiencing like a phenomena of these elements that can be experienced and noticed, which are completely impersonal, which are just um, part of the great nature. If you are able to get your mind into the habit of considering uh, no self, then uh, you can experience a, a really um, profound uh, sense of safety because you're not uh, protecting anything anymore. There was a movie uh, about the emperor of China, I think, and he was, um, you know, this boy emperor, and when he had all the palaces and everything, I guess life was, like, stressful because there was all this intrigue and all this politics and everything going around, and, and, the, um, and um, the communists were eventually, um, you know, tearing down the role of the empire and taking him and reducing him from... So, so while he was the emperor, he had a, like a miserable life. Uh, it was a very distracted life, um, a life that was like a combination of fear and distraction. And then after he'd uh, been through his, his uh, um, like thought reform under the communists and then he came, came out of it at the end and, and was um, just some um, 
little guy um, arranging flowers and uh, riding a bicycle and being amidst the throng of all the, the masses of the people and, and not, not having any special position but being just the same as everybody else. And at that time, it seemed in the culmination of that movie that he was, he was like, he didn't have to defend that great large empire, nor did he have to defend that um, artificial and false mythology about what an emperor, emperor is. And instead, he just could be ordinary, just an ordinary person, the same as everybody else. So, like, I am an ordinary person. Um, I'm not afraid, afraid to make mistakes because I know that that's human and uh, it's probably um, good for me to um, be human and be uh, prepared to uh, make mistakes. I'm, I'm not uh, worried about my reputation um, and uh, I uh, just uh, uh, simply try to be kind of like authentic to my humanity is, you know, it's just I am what I am. I've got a certain bundle, I've got some assets, some qualities that make me a really good uh, person and some other qualities that are not so admirable and, you know, I do what I can, but I don't have to try to be anything different than what I am. I don't have to try to put up any kind of a false front. I can just be part of nature, just natural. And that's the relaxing way to live, and that's what I think is is uh, possible when you realize uh, non-self. At the more higher levels, if you um, have a breakthrough to wisdom and you come close to um, actually attaining like sainthood in the Buddhist system, uh, the thing that will happen to you that will be different is that Every time this ego thing crops up, you'll have a perception of the danger in that. And you'll quickly want to like not engage with that. And you, you may see again and again through the force of nature that the self-centered thinking, the self-centered view or the self-centered uh, perspective does naturally crop up because we're human beings. But when it crops up, you'll be kind of like revolted by that because you say, oh no, I don't want to be reborn. <laughs> okay, there's a question. Because um, my understanding is that... Here, wait for the mic. You know, that when you have enough awareness to watch your ego be your ego, it's the ego's fear that it will die that keeps you, I mean, it's it's very anxiety-forming in a way because you also realize that all this conversation that says itself is really powerless, you know, that is, mm -hmm. you know, existing within these laws of nature. Um, could you speak to that fear level a little bit? Okay. I think what the... the question is pointing to, to, to is that there's a certain resistance that can come up uh, to this meditation practice. So if you're developing meditation, you may find that something uh, inside wants, doesn't want to give up control uh, and wants to um, 
uh, protect the self, protect the ego. And that can definitely be uh, something that stops meditation. For me, the way I experience this, I'm a recovering uh, uh, drug addict and alcoholic. And I know that uh, like a meditation, like a samadhi, uh, deep meditation is very blissful. And for decades, I just would not go there because I didn't want that kind of bliss because I felt I would, that my addiction would kick in and that I would, you know, really get in, in all kinds of trouble. So I had to, like, be, like, in control of, like, not just, I, I couldn't let go. And so it was, I had, like, this, this ego thing that was, like, keeping me safe from addiction, but it was also, like, stopping me from uh, uh, being able to um, uh, go very far in meditation. Um, uh, the technique that I now use when I see the ego thing coming up is I remember the verses where there's many, many stories and poems in Buddhism where somebody is um, practicing meditation and Mara, who's the tempter or the death force or a Satan type figure, uh, comes along and says, you're young and beautiful. Why are you sitting there like a nun wasting your beauty on, on that practice when you could go have a family and do a lot of uh, virtuous things and then um, when you get old and older you can, um, you can practice <coughs> meditation. And then the answer to that is, Mara, I see you. So, um, you know, it's kind of, to, to my mind, it's kind of like a gentle process not to, you know, not to fight or suppress anything, that everything that's coming up is part of nature. And, but you just got to kind of with a, a gentle touch see and acknowledge this is, it's part of what I have, it's part of the scene right now, and just observe it without clenching on it. Okay, I don't want to get too much into questions because at this point, but, but we'll have nothing but Q&A during the last uh, uh, discussion time. Uh, now is an opportunity for meditation, and I'd like to invite you to try doing this elements meditation that I was just describing. Uh, would you like to have it given out as a guided meditation? Yeah, okay. We can do that. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.